The story of the Bible, an introduction. Starting right out with an assignment. Get your pen out. If you don't have a pen on you, get your paper, uh, your bulletin, or use your phone, whatever. You have one minute. I'm going to be quiet. One minute to write out what you think the overarching story of the Bible is in one sentence. Okay? So a quick assignment. Don't worry. Don't sweat it. Go. Okay. You can finish if you're not quite done, but I'm going to move on. I want to begin by sharing briefly my story as it relates to this. Um, many of you know this. I, I grew up in this, with this church family when I was sixth grade. I've been a part here. Uh, uh, been under incredible Bible teaching, uh, Christian theology and, and teaching uh, there. I went on to Grand Rapids Baptist College and then to the seminary there. Um, which is now Cornerstone University. <clears throat> I uh, thought that the Lord was going to lead my wife and I into uh, mission endeavor overseas, probably with a Muslim group. But the Lord redirected, and that's another story for another time. And I just want to say that uh, th- what has led me to understand this and us to understand this story of the Bible um, started out for me back in the mid-90s when I read John Piper's definitive work, Desiring God, and a couple others of his, his books, began to understand that, uh, that real often in our lives we get it wrong. Real often we think it's about us, but he helped, helped me to really understand that all of life, the greatest joy and, ex- and contentment I can have is when I realize that it's all, of God, all about God, and we know his def- definitive statement that his ministry uh, is, is, is built on is God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Then in the late 90s, I actually uh, went to uh, Bob Shogren's seminar in, in DeWitt. Uh, it was called then Destination 2000. Uh, now his ministry is called Unveiling Glory. Uh, so we decided to host that here, and we had him here in, in 2000. And a couple times since then, but the definitive one was that first one. How many of you actually sat through that seminar that you remember? Okay, quite a few. So that's, that's very helpful. It really impacted my life. It helped me to see that it's, it's not just all about God, the story of the Bible, but God is on the march to reach all peoples. Do you remember then, those of you who went through that uh, seminar, his phrase that sounds really easy to us, sounds like uh, an oxymoron, Christian humanism. How could you have that? We know what secular humanism is all about. It's, it's the worship of man. Man's at the center of the universe, and he's at the pinnacle of everything. Um, it's basically the religion of most of our world, I would like to suggest. And, uh, but he said, we've got a real problem in our churches with Christian humanism, and and. It had to take half an hour to work this through, and I wouldn't be qualified to do it. But the whole concept that even as believers who have been blood-bought by the Lamb, <clears throat> we have a tendency by our living, by our teaching, by our words, we have a tendency to still think the story of the Bible is primarily about us. That's, that's what we tend to do, and that's, in a nutshell, Christian humanism. I was also challenged, really mostly through Bob Shogren, 
Um, you heard this four weeks ago from my brother Carl. Very interesting to both of us. We didn't collaborate on this, and we didn't know either, was, either of us was doing it till many years later. But I did the same thing he did. I just started, I, I decided I'm going to start in Genesis, and I'm going to see where that story is. I'm going to see it. And I wrote down every passage of Scripture, underlined every passage of Scripture, that spoke to God's glory going to the nations. And it blew me away. It was stunning for me. And that was real significant in my whole spiritual development. I've mentioned, uh, we've mentioned before perspectives. That has had a real impact in the same thing. I took it with my wife, Sherry, in 1999, and we've been coordinating it here with many of you uh, ever since. The first five lessons on the Perspectives of the World Christian Movement course, first five of 15, is all about the story of the Bible, tracing it through all of Scripture. And you that have taken that I know what I'm talking about there. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. I don't want to hit this very hard. But I want you to know that, that through the years, I find myself struggling with disillusionment, with with our churches and our pastors and our educational institutions. And that sounds awful bold. I understand that. I'm convinced, I'm convinced most people in our churches, I'm talking about biblical evangelical churches here in America and around the world, don't understand the story of the Bible. Now that's a strong statement, and I'm convinced it's true. If you were to take, you're going to know more as we, as we pursue it here, what we're talking about there. But if you were asked the same question that I ask you, and give you a minute, but give someone five minutes, that would be better, <laughs> to, to write down the story of the Bible in one sentence. If you were to do that with pastors around the country, if you were to do that with the average faithful person in the pew or the chair, if you were to do that with a college or seminary student that comes out of their school, you'd find, I believe, most of the time, that they have an incomplete understanding of the story of the Bible. But enough of that. <clears throat> what is the story of the Bible? I submit that there's hundreds of ways to say it. That's not the point. There's not a definition. If you get that, you got it. Um, hundreds of ways uh, to say it. And I'm thinking most of you, even if you weren't influenced by Bob Shogren and Destination 1000 or all the teaching that's been going from the pulpit here in the last 20 years, <clears throat> that you did a good job of writing down something about the redemption story. Something about God uh, creating and man falling and God bringing them back to himself through Jesus. I'm guessing you, you did a good job with that. And I don't want to shoot that down. I would just suggest that it's the redemption story plus two more components. One is that it's all about God and his glory. I don't think there's anybody in here who would say to me, oh, no, it's not, right? We all would do lip service to that. We agree it's all about God. But I'm talking about in our life. I'm talking about how we live. I'm talking about how we interact. I'm talking about everything that we do. We don't live often like it's God's glory, and we don't see that. We don't recognize that that is the overarching theme of the Bible, along with all nations. Everybody here has heard 500 times in the last year. That's an exaggeration. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, the Great Commission. Everyone here, I'm believing, I, I think would believe, would recognize that it's our job to send missionaries. It's our job. God has called us to reach all the nations. That's good and well, but I think what happens is we think it's just a a command, maybe in Matthew 28, maybe a couple other passages in the New Testament. But it's not something 
all the way through. It's not the main thing. And I submit to you that it is everything. So I want to emphasize that in this series, this six-week series that we're going to work through together, we're not going to be working on the redemption story part of the story of the Bible. Okay, that we do that all the time here, and, and I'm not belittling that. I'm saying we're not taking the time to work on that. We're going to spend time. We're assuming that we understand that God, through Jesus Christ, provides salvation to all who believe. Okay, so that's the that, that's that's a very important part of the story, and and so we're going to assume that. We're going to work on those two issues. So here's my definition. I hesitate to give it to you because it's not the definition, okay? It's just one of hundreds of ways that you could say it. But the way I would say it, if you would ask me that question, I would say, what is the story of the Bible? It is God's revelation to mankind concerning his purpose and plan to glorify his name by redeeming people from every people group in the world through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, I'm fairly confident, and I've done this, by the way. I've asked this question of many people in the past. I've asked them to write down uh, the story of the Bible. And most of the time, most of the time, we won't include that it's all about God and for his glory in that definition of the story of the Bible. We just don't think of it that way. We just think it's wonderful that God redeemed us, and that's the story of the Bible. I suggest to you that that if we do not, if we do not include to glorify his name and all nations, we have missed some. I'm going to go back. So most of you probably wrote something like this, God's revelation to mankind. And I don't want to belittle, I don't want to say, maybe most of you got it just right and included the two components. But most of the time, people do not. I'd say 10 to 20% of the time, they'll include God's glory and Zero to one percent of the time, they'll include for all nations. But most of us will write, God's revelation to mankind concerning his purpose and plan to redeem people through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's all good and well, but it's very important that we emphasize that the story of the Bible includes, it's all about God and his reach to every people group on the globe. I think I'm going to put that back up. Real quick. I want, to, I, want to, I want to make it clear that I don't think that when you would answer the story of the Bible with a definition that didn't include these two components or one of these two components, I don't think you're wrong. I think it's just incomplete. It's just needs, we need to go one step further. We can do lip service to this understanding, to this definition that I have here, but I submit to you that our default is always to downplay God's glory in our lives, in our thinking, And we tend to think it's rather about us and God's love for us. Very few of us consider in our lives that reaching the nations is a task for all of us to participate in. Most of of us, by the way we live our lives, and even by our words, give evidence that we believe the Great Commission. We believe it's something God has for a few of his people. A few people in the local church are designed, are supposed to be a part of this story, reaching the nations. It's something that the missions committee does. Something that a few key people that really reach out. The rest of us, well, the rest of us, we have other things we have to do, right? And that tends to be the mentality that we have in our church here, I think, but certainly in in other churches. In this study, we hope to change that perspective. 
Quick review. The story of the Bible is not primarily about us. We are in the story of the Bible, right? It is about us, but it's not primarily about us. Praise God, it is about us. It's not primarily about God's love for us. It certainly is about God's love for us, but that's not the push from Genesis to Revelation. It is all about God, and it's all about God redeeming people from every people group in this world. God being worshipped by all nations. If this is true, again, we haven't even gone to the scripture yet, and we're going to go to the beginning of the story, and we're going to go to the ending of the story tonight. Next week, I'm going to start in the Exodus, and I'm going to start going through as far as I get. And the following week, I'm going to jump ahead to the prophets, and I'm going to work on where is this story found in the prophets? The following week, Ron's going to work on the Psalms. Where is this story found in the Psalms? And the following two weeks, Chad and Tim are going to work on the New Testament, the Gospels, Acts, the Epistles. And that's what we're going to try to do the next few weeks. And I, I ask you to try to come out, and I challenge you to start reading the Scripture with ease in mind as we work it through. But if this is true, I submit to you that 100% of us, God's children, are called to join his plan to reach all peoples. It's not for a few people. I'll, I'll say a little more crass than that. It's not, a few, not for a few wackos, okay? It's for all of us. We're all called to join. A similar statement, but I thought it was a little different twist. 100% of us, 100%, every one of you and myself, as God's children, have a purpose and a privilege to aggressively join God's march to the nations. I want you to think that through. It is a privilege that we have. It's not, it's not by and large a burden. It is a purpose. It is a calling. It is an incredible privilege that we can be a part of the heart of God, which is to see his name known, to see his name extended, and to be worshipped from every people group on the globe. Finally, I think all local churches everywhere should seek to have it as their heartbeat. If this is true, if this is the story of the Bible, every church, Bible-believing church everywhere should seek to have it as their heartbeat, the center of all they do, to reach their local communities and to seek to make the nations glad, to seek to reach all peoples. So what is the story of the Bible? Let's, uh, <clears throat> let's take a step back. How many books in the, old, in the Bible? 66. How many in the Old Testament? 39. How many in the New? 66 books. I want us to look the next few weeks at the 66 books being one book. One book, okay? And if we look at it that way, a good way to look at it is the first 11 chapters of Genesis are the introduction to the book. You know the story well. We're not going to spend much time on it. God created. God created everything beautifully and good and perfect, <clears throat> including mankind, man and woman, after his image. But we know the story well. Adam and Eve and we chose, choose to turn against God. And sin comes into the world. And the next three chapters are a horrible depiction of the wickedness that goes on, um, starting with the initial sin and moving on from there.
Then we have the flood where God spared and used Noah to build the ark, Noah and his family, total of eight, spared them, wiped out the rest of humanity and creation outside of uh, the fish in the sea, I think, right? And uh, oh, some birds. No, the birds were in the ark. The flood, start over. And he, he, he made the mandate again to Noah, I want you to reproduce, I want you to multiply, and I want you to fill the earth. Well, we know that they didn't do that. We have the table of nations and the Tower of Babel. It's actually chronologically in reverse order. We have the Tower of Babel, which is chapter 11, took place first, where people didn't spread out. They didn't fill the earth. They stayed in one spot. There was one people group then, right? One culture. They all had the same language, but God decided it was time to force the issue. So he uh, changed the languages, confused the languages. So then we have in the table of nations, in chapter 10, a list of a roughly 70 different nations, 70 different clans, 70 different families. So they're spreading out now. We're starting different languages are developing. And so <clears throat> the intro to the Bible goes through chapter 11 of Genesis, I would say. And so we have the beginning of people groups. There's 70 then. How many are there now? I think somewhere around 17,000, okay? Different languages, different cultures, different people groups of the world. So if Genesis 1 through 11 is the introduction to the story of the Bible, uh, Genesis 12 through the rest of the book of Genesis, I would call the first chapter. Okay? So the first chapter, all these verses we're going to work on tonight, you're very familiar with. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time. It's, just, it's, it's, it's basically review to set the stage for really going through the many passages of Scripture that you're not very familiar with and that most of us are not very familiar with. Genesis 12, 1 through 3, you know the story there. You know God came to Abram, uh, a man who didn't know him, I think, a man who worshipped many gods from the Ur of the Chaldees up there in Mesopotamia. <clears throat> the Lord said to Abram, so nothing to do with his faithfulness yet. Leave your country, Abram, your people. Leave your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. And so he starts promising. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. He hasn't yet had any children. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And then you see in the light blue the final promise to Abram. All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. That's the initial promise. That, notice that last promise is not a command, right? God is saying, this is going to happen with you, Abram. All peoples, I think the ESV says all clans, I'm not sure. And I, and I, I meant to tell you, I just love the NIV. It's what, how I use it. So all the passages I'm going to use are going to be NIV. So don't sweat it. Forgive me for it and hang with me, okay? But, uh, but plant all peoples, all clans, all families. I think the ESV says all families of the earth, okay? So um, the promise to Abraham. Abraham, even before you have any children, you're going to be a great nation. And you, your nation, your offspring, are going to be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. <clears throat> God doesn't stop there. He then repeats that same promise four more times in the book of Genesis. So we're going to look at them quickly. First time, an another time to Abraham. You remember the three? I, I, as I've been thinking, I just looked today. There's three men or angels that came to Abraham and 
told him the next year at this time he's going to have a son, right? And whether they're angels, who knows who they are for sure. But then their next task, Abraham is still with him, with them. They're going, getting ready to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, right? For their wickedness. And God says to the three men, not to Abraham, even though Abraham, I think, was there. Maybe he wasn't right there. I don't know for sure. But he says to them, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation. And there's the promise again. All nations on earth will be blessed through him. Genesis twenty-two eighteen, Right after Abraham shows his obedience by offering Isaac on the altar, God spares Isaac, provides the ram, and God says to him, he really reiterates everything from Genesis 12, 1 to 3, and then at the end, his promise. And through you, or through your Abraham, through your offspring, what's he say? All nations on earth will be blessed. What does that mean? That's what we're going to pursue a little bit more, but we're not going to spend a lot of time on what does it mean, but think it through. You are going to touch all peoples. Your nation that I'm going to make from you are going to touch all people. Now, we know, and I don't disagree with this, ultimately, ultimately, through his offspring, how is Abraham going to be a blessing to all nations? Who's the offspring? Ultimately, Jesus, right? We understand that. But a lot of times I think what we do is we think exclusively Jesus. Nothing to do until Jesus comes, and then he's going to reach the nations. I'm going to show you. We're going to show you these next few weeks. No, 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 no. Abraham was to be a blessing to all those he could touch. Abraham's offspring all the way through, and they became a nation with the kings. They all learned. They all knew. We're going to see it all the way through. They're all to be a blessing. They're all to point to their God, to the Gentiles, to the nations around. One, uh, so then to Isaac. Same promise. Isaac, after uh, the twins were born, God says to Isaac, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. So he's repeating the same promise. He wants to make sure they get it. Finally, one more time, this time to Jacob. He, he repeats, this is when Jacob is, has the vision or the dream of the steps that go up to heaven, right? The ladder or whatever you want to call it, right? And, and God says to Jacob, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you, Jacob and through your offspring, okay? So that's, that's chapter one. That's the beginning of the story. As I mentioned, I'm going to start next week, and I'm going to start in Exodus. And I haven't decided exactly. Primarily going to work on three major sections. We can't cover. We're not going to end this six weeks. We talked about it take 20 weeks to try to cover every passage of Scripture. I did neglect to say, when, when, I, uh, when I did my two-year two read-through, to find these passages of Scripture, I came up with 160 passages. Most of those in the Old Testament, I didn't do as good of a job in the New Testament because it seems like most of it was that. But uh, 160 times, and I, since then, <clears throat> through some of my brother Carl's stuff, but further reading, I have 220 to 240 different passages of Scripture that tell this story from beginning to end. We're not going to cover all that, right? We're going to cover as much as we can, however we think it'll be best, so that you can chew on it and understand it and then take off with it. 
So, if Genesis is the first chapter, we got, we got Exodus, we got the nations built, it goes to Egypt, and Egypt, they're in slavery, they become a nation, and they're miraculously removed from there. They wander through the desert for 40 years because of their sin, because of their disobedience. They, they become a great nation once they go into the land, and you've got some great things going on when King and Solomon, uh, uh, David and Solomon were kings. They, they were like the, the pinnacle nation of the world, and the influence could have been outstanding, and in some cases probably was, but then the sin and the rampant disobedience and the idolatry and God sends them into exile and brings them back and before long we come to the ultimate seed, right? When Jesus is born, right? And Jesus comes and he lives on this earth and he, he lives a perfect life and he teaches and he preaches and he does miracles and he casts out demons and he shows compassion and he works with his disciples and then he gives his life for you and I and for the nations. And then uh, after he dies, as we celebrated last week, he's resurrected again, and he ascends into heaven. And then what do we have? We have Pentecost, and the beginning of the church, and it moves on, and now we really have the aggressive move to the nations. And Acts 28 ends abruptly, and I say we are all living Acts 29 right now. We're continuing to move on to the nations. <clears throat> and then the epistles, and then we have the last chapter of this one book, and that's Revelation. A couple of key uh, passages we're going to touch on, but before that, I'm just going to give you a glimpse of a couple others in Revelation that I wasn't even familiar with. I'm guessing you ha aren't. Chapter 14, verse 6 and 7, John writing, Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel. What did he have? The eternal gospel. He had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth. To who who lives on the earth? To every nation, tribe, language, and people. And this angel said in a loud voice, to the nations, to every tribe, people, language, nation, he said, fear God. Fear God and give him glory. It's all about God. Because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him. Who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Next chapter, 15.4. Seven angels who were preparing to open the seven last plagues saying, Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. It's all about God. All nations will come. Who? All nations. So you see these two components of the story of the Bible? The redemption story, it's all about God and his reach to all peoples, and it's going to make sure it happens. For your righteous acts have been revealed. Now back to the two that you've been, you've seen many times. Our brother Jim just prayed this, this one this morning as he was praying the beautiful picture in chapter 5 of Revelation where someone asked, Who is worthy to open these seal judgments? <clears throat> And John says, he wept and wept because he couldn't find anyone. No one's, gonna, no one's worthy. And then someone says, no, there is someone here that's worthy. And then John says, then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. He came. He took the scroll. And then the 24 elders sang a new song to the lamb. You are worthy to take the scroll. You are worthy to open its seals because you were slain 
and with your blood you purchased men for God. Now, I just saw something here for the first time this week as I was studying this through. The lamb was worthy to open the seals because he was what? Slain. And with his blood, he purchased men for who? For God. It's all about God. Did he purchase us for us? No, he purchased men for God. It's all about God. And and from where did he purchase these men by his blood? From every tribe and language and people and nations. Now, here is the final picture. Chapter 7, 9 through 10. This is between the sixth and the seventh sealed judgments. John says, after this I looked. So he gets this unbelievable vision. And we could just spend a lot of time thinking about this. Think about this. Think about what this picture is. This is a picture at the end. I looked, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. So how many were there? A couple thousand? A couple million? A couple billion? Great multitude that no one could count. Standing before, uh, I jumped ahead. A great multitude that no one could come count from every nation, every tribe, every people, and language. Chad prayed this evening. Our brother Roger and sister Roseanne are struggling right now with the situation, the Korah. You know what? We're going to have Korah. We know this already. There's going to be Korah people speaking in Korah, praising God while we're there speaking in English. And we're going to have people from the Maguindanao Muslims. And I don't know why, but a couple of weeks ago I had trouble. I was praying. When I started thinking about these people groups, how about the Kazakhs in Kazakhstan? There's going to be some from the Kazakh people. How about the Uyghur? The Uyghur people in northwest China. How about the majority people in Afghanistan, the Pashtun? Oh, they're a hard people. There's going to be Pashtun speaking their language. People from every people group of the world are going to be together with us not second rate to us we're going to just be a part of it and it's going to be unbelievable they are standing before the throne in front of the lamb and they cried out in a loud voice salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb so what why does this matter I got a little wordy so I got to speed up a little bit here in one sense nothing changes when we understand this story of the Bible, when we see it's from the beginning to end, and it is the story that God redeems people from every people group for himself, and that's what he's on the march to do. Nothing changes in one sense. I continue to farm. I remain married to my wonderful wife, Sherry. I continue to serve in this local church. I still try to cling to my Lord and his word. In another sense, everything changes. I now see my farm in a very different light. It is God's farm, and it is for His purposes, both locally and globally. My marriage relationship with Sherry takes a different priority, a different priority of pursuing our King together for His glory, not for our own well-being. I have a new and vibrant motive to serve this church, mobilizing as many as I can within this body to pursue God's glory and His reach for the nations. I read the Word of God with a new understanding and a new joy, seeing how it is all tied to our great Lord and King and Savior and our privilege to join with Him in reaching all peoples with the gospel.
I say that not because I've arrived, but that's the effect it can and should have on my life. And so I long to see these things happen, and I long to see them happen. So in one sense, nothing changes. In another sense, everything changes. I want to quickly introduce to you a phrase that many of us have been exposed to, not my phrase, world Christian. It's been around for decades, if not centuries. My definition, again, I hesitate to give it to you. This is not the only definition. This is my understanding it. This is my prayer, quite frankly, for every one of you. This is my prayer for anyone who names the name of Christ, that they would pursue becoming a world Christian. A world Christian stated this way, as a believer in the Lord Jesus who has become aware of what God is doing in the world. That's the first half. A believer who has become aware of what God is doing in the world. A believer who understands beginning to understand the story of the Bible. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's not about our church. It's about God's reach to the nations for his purposes, for his glory. When we begin to understand that, we begin to become a world Christian, but that's only half the equation. Once we start understanding that, then we become continually and passionately pursuing. We begin pursuing ways in which we can take an active part in this effort to reach all peoples. So, a world Christian, I pray this for you. Pray it for me that I would grow as a world Christian. Are, are those of us who understand what God is about, what he did in his word and what he's doing now in history and on the march to continue to reach the farthest ends of the earth, all the people groups of the world, even the Maindu, the Mindo, uh, in Mozambique that the other Schaefers are working with. God is on the march. I've learned that. Now, Lord, how can I be involved? How can I do my part? Now, there's, that's a good question. We can't work on it too much tonight. But active part of, of pursuing God's heart for the nations, some of us can go as missionaries. And some of us do, and praise God. We have people pushing to do that in this church and around the world, growing movements where people are offering themselves to go. But for most of us, we continue to farm. We continue to be businessmen. We continue to, uh, to work in the factory. We continue to, be, continue to be homemakers. We continue to be secretaries, or what are they called now? Special names for secretaries. Anyway, we continue to do what we're doing, right? Most of us, we stay at home, but our prayer lives change. And we become concerned about how we can help send missionaries and encourage missionaries. We all of a sudden are willing to give more money that God has given us for the cause. We work hard at mobilizing others, at challenging others to become world Christians, maybe even sending others out, uh, mobilizing others to become a part of the cause. We work hard at, uh, at uh, welcoming the internationals that are inundating, the immigrants that are coming in, the refugees that are coming in, the international students. There's all sorts of things we can do. But I need to close here soon. So what would happen? I often spend time just dreaming what would happen in a little way with our own church if the majority of us understood this story of the Bible and were pursuing how we can be a part. But more so, what would happen if all of our churches in the United States or the world started taking, putting, putting this whole drive at the center of all they do, right? Our job, our job is to pursue God in our community and to the nations. And we're all going to do it together. If that happened, what would happen? 
I would suggest to you that we would have a growing unity and a great body life within local churches and between local churches. We would have a growing faithfulness and joy. We would have a growing, effective, and powerful witness within our communities. Things would be turned upside down in our communities. There would be an explosion of growth within our churches, both numerically and spiritually, if we all began to understand this story of the Bible and pursued God's heart for the nations. I believe there would be an explosion of new churches started in America and around the globe like we couldn't even fathom. I believe that we would have a huge swell of missionaries volunteering to go to the ends of the earth and that they would have no problem being supported because there would be more money than we'd know what to do with. That we would give, we would give, and we would give some more because that's what we can do. And it would be an incredible army. I believe that if we understood this story of the Bible, prayer both corporate prayer in our churches and personal prayer would be turned upside down. It would be more like the air that we breathe. I believe that knowing we are a praying church, I don't mean just this church, missionaries that we send out would be sending back much more regularly prayer fodder. They want us to pray. They know we're praying. Pray for this. Pray for this. This is what's happening. And it would be amazing. And I believe that if we understood the story of the Bible, we would be waking up early to pray. People would be staying up late to pray. We would be praying through the day over the news that we hear. Instead of saying, woe is us and woe is we, the horrible news, we'd be praying when we hear of nations, when we hear of peoples, and we hear of countries. We'd be praying. We'd be praying daily, ongoing through the day, for the frontline beachheads of the gospel. I think understanding this story of the Bible would be a key to free us up to have the privilege of joining with God to reach the nations. And I think with that, I'm going to pray. Let's pray. Father, you're using a broken vessel tonight, no question about it. But thank you for helping us through some of these things. And oh, I cry out to you that you'd help us as we present, go through the word in the next few weeks, that we would be challenged and understand this story of the Bible like we've never understood it before. I pray that you'd cause each one of the people here to grow as world Christians, to begin to understand that you are on the march, that it is all about you, and that we can have an active part. So pursue us as we pursue you. Help us to grow in this whole understanding, and I pray that you do an incredible work in our midst. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.